kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no cotton down. She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel good sounds. Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Chits. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. Hello and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about pee, poop, and plums, a crazy guy, a Diet Coke bomb, quacks and geese, dicks and ducks. And at the end of the episode, we have a story about the tubes of terror. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. So, you know, we just had a big hurricane here on the East Coast, Hurricane Matthew, and I had to evacuate, and that was a big hubba-baloo. Hubba uh, I've been here for about five years, and uh, all the other hurricanes, it's been like no big deal. And uh, I was planning on going to work on a Thursday, and uh, I got up Wednesday morning, and it was all like all over the news. We had to evacuate by three o'clock on Wednesday, and I was like, "Huh?" Because uh, I've been watching the tracking of it, and it looked like it wasn't going to hit us till Friday or Saturday. And it's Wednesday, and I was thinking, "Really? I got to leave now?" And then they were saying all this stuff how all the traffic was going to be, and uh, and I was like, "Oh my! I don't I don't think I have." much gas in the tank. So I just ran out, hadn't even had coffee or anything. I thought, oh, if they're saying, you know, everybody has to leave, I bet there's no gas. And sure enough, all the gas stations were zip-tied. All the, the stations' nozzles were zip-tied, closed. And I was like, oh, ugh, crap, this is this is serious. I gotta, I gotta go. <laughs> so I hurried up and, and uh, jump-seated out. Luckily, I was able to get a jump-seat. I went to my trip early and then... Uh, you know, I worked for three days, but then now that's when the hurricane's actually hitting. So I was like, well, I can't go home now. I can't head home in the middle of a hurricane. So I got another hotel room and then I did another trip. And uh, it's all kind of um, stressful because uh, I got water in my place. You know, it's not hugely damaging. The floors are damaged. People just came in today to look and they said the walls are wet up like two feet and uh luckily it was better than I expected I was watching stuff on the news and I thought oh my god my place is just going to be full of water like an aquarium I'm going to get back and it's going to be an aquarium <laughs> all my belongings just floating inside so actually I was pleasantly surprised and then I didn't have power for uh four days and gosh you know we are so dependent on power we really I know we realize it but we I think we also forget how, how everything I was like charging things in my car and uh, every time, even four days later, I'd walk in and still flip a light switch just out of habit, even though, you know, nothing happens when you flip that switch when you don't have any power. <laughs> so anyway, here's the story I wanted to tell about the hurricane and uh, no power. So I needed to wash clothes. So luckily, uh, at this point, there was a laundromat that was open. And uh, I went to the laundromat and 
I'm washing my clothes and uh, I, I'm, I'm like folding things from the dryer and there's a man there and he starts talking, a stranger, never seen him before. And um, he starts saying, you know, people aren't listening to the news. You know, we're not supposed, you're supposed to boil the water and you're not supposed to use the water because they need it because there's all this, you know, dry brush on the ground and they need the pressure in case there's fires and people aren't watching the news. And I'm like, well, I'm not watching the news because I have any power. And he's like, well, they've been saying on the news, you're supposed to pee, 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 poop, flush, and people aren't doing it. And I was thinking to myself, well, this is awfully um, personal conversation to be having with strangers. And he's like, yeah, they're not listening. You're supposed to pee, 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 poop, and then flush. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I mean, I guess it takes like disasters for strangers to start talking about peeing and pooping and flushing. And as I was leaving, he was like, remember, pee, 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 poop, flush. Okay. And there's a tea bar in the lab above you. So if you don't put the tube on right, the tea, the the thing will fall out and all the, the poop will come down. Oh, my gosh. So on the L1011, there's five labs that go into the one chute. Right. So there's, this is like a poop valve. Yeah, it was, a, it was I was in cabin service at the right. time. So the guy, Mike, he goes up, he just takes the tea out, and it, they set him up in, in LaGuardia, I think it was, it came from. And all of the stuff came down. He looked like Carrie standing underneath <laughs> this thing. All the blue lab juice and all the turrets were flying everywhere. And he just stood there. <laughs> Being had rained on. Oh, it was funny. You see all the people in the airport like, <laughs> So what did he do? He was at, he's at work. He's so gross. He just rinsed himself off and came back into work. <laughs> I was commuting to work, so I'm in my uniform. I'm going to be sitting on the jump seat because the flight's totally full. And uh, I'm in the gatehouse and... I'm just kind of observant, and I noticed this woman. She's got kind of like crazy gray silver hair, like striped socks, like knee socks, and like way too many bracelets and necklaces, and um, just a lot going on. And I thought, oh, you know, she's an odd one. <laughs> That's what I'm saying to myself, you know, just to myself. You know, you, you can just tell. And, uh, I'm standing in the back of the plane like I do in my uniform, even though I'm not working. And uh, there's a male flight attendant who's working the flight, and he's out in the aisle helping people. And uh, he comes to the back and he says, oh, my gosh, this woman just said to me, uh, where's my plums? And he's like, where's my plums? (laughs) That's not something you normally hear on the plane. And he's like, excuse me? And she's like, where are my plums? My plums. And he's like, I don't know. Where did you put your plums? And she's like, in the overhead bin. I don't want those plums to get smashed. And so he looked in the overhead bin and he's like, well, it looks like your plums are like right where you put them. <laughs> looks like your plums are fine. <laughs> so I said, oh, is she kind of an odd looking lady with like striped knee socks and too much jewelry? And he's like, yeah, how did you know? I'm like, seen enough. So I was talking a little bit about the hurricane and how I was evacuated and the flight attendants on my trip were laughing because I'm like, well, I put a bunch of towels down 
inside the sliding glass doors and they're like, oh yeah, the towels are going to help. I'm like, well, it's kind of like a towel fort. I put like every towel I had out there. <laughs> like, you don't think that's going to help in a, in a hurricane? Uh, but I was also talking to some of my neighbors when I finally got back, some of the neighbors who stayed and um, the marina out in front of my place basically just fell down. The um, The headline when I was looking, when I was staying at the hotels, when I was evacuated, the headline was my marina is gone. It's gone. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> the place is gone. But anyway, all the boats were piled up, smashed up. And even when I was looking on, there were pictures on the internet that people had taken after the hurricane when I was still evacuated. It looked like the boats were piled up, like, looked like they were like in my condo, but it was just the angle they were taken at. They, were, they ended up being like nine feet away. <laughs> Anyway, the thing that was funny that the neighbors were telling me who stayed, they were like, some crazy guy was out on his boat during the hurricane. And we came like, um, I don't know, like 10 miles from the eye of the hurricane. And that marina just was smashed. And he's out there on his boat. And they said he was out there yelling, you know, like, you can't get me. I'm the king of the world. Hurricane my ass. <laughs> and I guess he's all right. The crazy guy on the boat. Okay, so there are some flight attendants, like, and passengers. You know when they like their Diet Coke, they really like their Diet Coke. Okay, so you knew someone who, uh... He packed his Diet Coke, put it down the chute. How many Diet Cokes? At least 12 or more. 12? Yes. Okay, put it in his in, in, in his, bag. In his bag. Shot it down the luggage chute in the Vegas. The chute that goes down the stairs. Down like, the stairs. Yeah. It fell off the chute, hit the ground in the Vegas, and exploded like a big volcano. <laughs> of Diet Coke. Of Diet Coke. <laughs> Have I said how great my listeners are? Well, this came from a listener named Sheila. It's a story by Amanda Jones, and it's called The Man Who Could Stop Planes. For three trying days, I had been traversing Africa, trying to get from Niger to Kenya. The bulk of my time had spent dealing with sour officials, hopelessly battling malarial mosquitoes, and sitting wretchedly in filthy, stinking hot airports. I had come from three tough but rewarding weeks in the Sahara, and the great beauty of the desert had left me with a feeling of serene detachment. By the time I arrived in Johannesburg to catch my fourth flight to Nairobi, 19 hours behind schedule, that hard-earned peaceful detachment had gone. All tolerance had fled. I had 25 minutes to catch my flight, and I was faced with an obscenely lengthy queue snaking towards a line of passport control booths. South Africa, a crucible of long-squashed anger and now flailing backlash, was in turmoil. World press had seized on the stories of crime, violence, and internationally linked corruption. In response, South Africa's authorities had decided to force all visitors, even those in transit, to undergo document inspections. This impossible delay rang a resounding death knell to my Kenya safari plans. I stared out the airport window in misery. Dusk was approaching. Rain exploded on the ground. Hunched, glistening figures lurched toward the downpour as if under attack. A thought of being caught in this city alone with no money to afford a decent hotel struck me with paralyzing dread. When I turned back to the room, there was a young man lingering beside me. I stared at him stonily in no mood for small talk. Hello, he said cheerfully. Can I help you? You look in need of some assistance. 
I judged him to be in his mid-twenties, possibly ten years my junior. He was short, slight, and brown-skinned with a South African accent. He was dressed in jeans and a beer emblem t-shirt with a well-used backpack slung over one shoulder. The global uniform of a traveling student. I doubt you can help me, I replied dismissively. I was supposed to be in Nairobi tonight. I had to be in Nairobi tonight. However, my plane is about to leave without me. Oh dear, he said. His eyes showed genuine sympathy for my situation. Right then, let's see if there's anything we can do about that. Come with me. He moved off briskly, but I remained where I was, confused, embarrassed, and reluctant to lose my space in line. He stopped and gestured for me to follow. This time I did, although hesitantly. He cut ahead of the queue, approached the official, and spoke to her in Afrikaans. She regarded me coldly, but said nothing as I walked past without showing any documentation. Wait here, he instructed, indicating a row of seats. Which airline are you on? Right then. Let me see if I can hold that flight for you. Won't be a moment. I sat trying to imagine who this young man could be that he could circumvent immigration officials and stop planes. He returned, shaking his head. Sorry, it's gone. It's the last one out tonight, and all the flights tomorrow are solidly booked. I obviously looked stricken, and then he said, Well, don't worry. We'll get you on a plane. I'm Ron, by the way. He stuck out his hand. Curious as to whom the we was that could get me on a flight, I looked at him in his eyes and asked, Ron... I was wondering, how did you know I needed help back there? You work here? What is it you do? FBI, he replied as casually as he said, uh, janitorial staff. My job is to look for anxious people, and you looked rather anxious. I'm on loan to the South African government from the United States Illegal Immigration, Drug Smuggling, Terrorism, that sort of thing. We're here to train their authorities. My job is to mingle with the crowds and look for anxious people. Suspects, in fact, and you looked rather anxious. You thought I was smuggling drugs? I said, horrified. No, no, he answered earnestly, smiling. I just thought you looked like a fellow American in need of assistance. But you're not American after all, are you? You must have lived there for quite a while now, although you weren't born there. New Zealand, right? You fooled me. I had you pegged for an American. I was shocked. He had not seen my passport, nor was, I, nor was I wearing running shoes, a baseball cap, or a collegiate sweatshirt of any other dead giveaways of Americanism. He was correct, and he had gleaned all of this from the few words I had spoken. I suddenly felt exposed and defensive. But you're not American either, I accused him. His English was thick with Afrikaans. Even his vernacular was South African. I am. I'm from El Paso, Texas. Been here four months now. Observing him more closely, it occurred to me that he was the perfect undercover agent, if that's what he could be called. With his mocha skin, brown eyes, and brown hair, he could have been North African, Arab, Mexican, Indian, or South American. Being blonde, pale, tall, my entire being shrieks a foreigner in most parts of the globe. How extraordinary it must be, I thought, to be able to fit in almost anywhere. Look, he said kindly, you look tired. Do you have somewhere you can go? I know a hotel. It's not too expensive, and it's clean and safe and relatively close. I could drop you off there. It's on my way home. We'll pick up your luggage. They'll send it through now that you missed your flight. I was at a point where I had to decide whether to trust him or not. Women traveling alone are persistently faced with this dilemma. Don't I know it? Rather to be paralyzed by suspicion, we have to learn to rely on 
the murmurings of instinct to calculate the risk, and then in the end, hope those instincts are correct. Do you happen to have any ID on you, Ron? I asked. I doubt you, uh, but you know, uh, it's just smart. Women traveling alone are always faced with this dilemma. He pulled out a plastic card with FBI printed in block letters, his name and a photo. I peered at the picture in which he looked completely different. He was indeed a true chameleon. The situation suddenly seemed surreal, and I resisted the urge to laugh. We all know people like Ron exist, but somehow they do so in a reality not our own, or only in the movies. I can take you to your hotel, he said, but there's one thing I have to do before we leave. You can come along if you like. I had nothing better to do, and now I was extremely curious, so I followed. We stopped at an airport restaurant where Ron purchased meals in rather large quantities, explaining the situation as he took the money out of his wallet. We arrested some Pakistanis this morning. They were trying to get to Nairobi on false passports. We're deporting them tomorrow. Just thought I'd drop by and deliver this to them. The police can't offer food for deportees here. I was surprised by how much he was telling me, and even more so as I followed him behind the security doors and through the inner workings of the airport. People nodded to Ron, but no one bothered to ask who I was or why I was there. Probably they assumed I was a suspect. We entered a barren concrete building adjoining the airport. A long, narrow corridor was lit with fluorescent light and littered with drink cans and cigarette butts. There were no windows, only opposing rows of closed doors. I began to feel uneasy. In a matter of hours, I had been shepherded from the innocence of the front room traveler to the gritty behind-the-scenes realm of crime and law enforcement. A policeman stood outside the Pakistani's room. He unlocked the door as Ron approached, and we entered. Through a serpentine of haze of cigarette smoke, I saw these men crouched on a narrow bed and another two on the floor. They were in their 30s, dressed in dark western clothing. Their eyes were black as onyx and hard with bitterness and defeat. Ron set the food on the table, speaking a language I didn't recognize, probably Urdu. And the men muttered. One said something, and Ron dug into his pocket and tossed him a pack of cigarettes. The man inclined his head and grudgingly thanked him. We left the building in silence. You must be hungry, too, Ron said cheerfully as we re-entered the airport to get my bags. Come on, we'll stop, at, we'll stop and get something on the way to your hotel. Over dinner, we spoke mostly about Ron's job. I could tell he was trying to impress me, but he did it in such an open way, it was rather endearing. He spoke 23 languages. He could tell the time by the sun. He was an expert in martial arts. Despite my insistence, he refused to let me pay for dinner, or even my part of the dinner, telling me to save my money in case I should be stranded again. Later, he dropped me off at a modest hotel somewhere on the outskirts of the city. He had been every bit the gentleman. As I left the car, he said, As far as you're leaving tomorrow, I checked on flights, and there's one leaving at 8 in the morning. It's full, but I can arrange to get you on. I'll pick you up at 6. No, 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 I protested. You've done enough already. I won't get you out of bed at such an ungodly hour. You really have been too kind, Ron. I insist, he said. I'd rather know that you got there safely, and you'll need me to get you on the flight. I'm deporting you. Sleep well. <laughs> he was there at six, just as he said he would be, armed with the same smile. At the airport, Ron disappeared, returning with a boarding pass. Got you on. The airline thinks you're a deportee, but you shouldn't care so long as you get there. There won't be any record of anything. Don't worry. 
I wasn't sure how to thank him adequately for all he had done. He was undoubtedly broken he was breaking rules for me, or most certainly bent them. I wondered if he bumped some other traveler from the flight and felt momentary guilt. As he walked me to the gate, I asked him something I'd been wondering from the night before. Why, why did you feed those men, Ron? You paid for the food with your own money, didn't you? I mean, they looked terribly shady. Ron sighed. His chin dropped. I felt as I'd said something dreadful, something terribly disappointing. He stopped walking. This job, he said, has taught me that our presumptions about people are rarely true. We have so many misconceptions, especially about foreigners, but they are nothing more than fear of the unknown. We live quite comfortably making sweeping generalizations about entire nations of people. These people we suspect of being evil Mostly are students and deadbeat dreamers and artists and teachers and greedy businessmen, the same characters that populate all societies. And then some of them, a tiny portion of them, are actually individuals with intent to harm others. But we foolishly judge them all by the few that are bad. Ron was becoming heated, staring vacantly ahead. I bought those men food because in all likelihood, they are simply seeking an improved life. And even if those five individuals aren't innocents, like most of the folk I encounter, even if they are real criminals, then a show of kindness may help just a little to debunk their preconceptions of us. Until we can prove them as bad people, it's simply kinder to trust their intentions. Besides, he added, everybody has to eat. Ron, the FBI agent, was right. And not only did he help me, a complete stranger, that day, but he taught me a lesson I shall take to my grave. Our world just might be a better place if we put a little more kindness and trust into our days. This story was by Amanda Jones. You can find out more about her at amandajonestravel.com. I like to tell stories about how I can do dumb stuff or like losing stuff or and um, you said something happened to you? Yes, yeah, so everyone was sharing how you know they're always thinking about losing their whatever um, glasses, glasses they're and their they're on their head okay so I said I got you all beat I'm driving down the road and I'm thinking in my head, where are my keys? <laughs> in my car, you know. Speaking of stupid, I do so many freaking stupid things. And just recently, uh, this guy was telling a story and I must not have pushed record properly and I didn't get it recorded, which is a shame because he has a good voice and he's good at telling stories. Uh, we were talking about uh, amusement parks because I worked at an amusement park, Kennywood in Pittsburgh, and he was saying that he worked, he worked, <laughs> he worked at Bush Gardens. He was in the entertainment department. You know, they have shows and he was a tap dancing Italian chef. And then he was also in a German oompa band <laughs> playing the trombone. <laughs> that sounds like fun. What a great job to be an Italian tap dancing chef and in a German oompa band. And they pay you. 
we were both talking about how much we liked working at an amusement park. And he was saying that at Bush Gardens, there was a famous story, and I had never heard of it. I don't know if you guys did, but it was like 17 years ago. And they were having a brand new, um, you know, the opening of a brand new roller coaster. It was called Apollo's Chariot. So they hired what they considered to be a Greek god, the supermodel, Fabio. Remember Fabio with that long hair? He'd always be on the cover of romance novels. He was uh, he was in the commercials. I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> you know, he's always had a shirt off with the long hair. Anyway, they have him in the front row for the first time. They're debuting their new roller coaster. And then they have all these ladies dressed in like white gowns. And uh, they go up the big hill. They go down. And what happened? But a, a goose, a goose hits them in the face. I mean, really, what are the chances that you're going down the hill of a roller coaster and you get hit in the face with a goose? I mean, like, people were, were splattered with blood. Uh, eventually, I think he was okay. He was hurt and bloody. But, uh, you know, Fabio got goosed. Well, I'd like to thank any of you guys who, when you were going to buy something on Amazon, ooh, and Christmas is coming up. There's going to be lots of stuff to buy. If you'd be so kind to just consider going to my website, BettyInTheSky.com, click through the Amazon links and order your things. This way it doesn't cost you any more and it supports the show. Uh, some people um, will say that ads aren't there, and that's usually if you have your ad blocker on. But get this. This was a first. <laughs> Dustbat on Instagram actually asked if I would read a few more items. <laughs> Here's the funny thing is I try to go fast because I kind of feel like it's a commercial and I don't want to have too many commercials on the podcast. I feel like some podcasts are like nothing but commercials. Um, but anyway, I like to see what people buy on Amazon. And this past month, uh, someone bought The Secrets of Her Majesty's Secret Service, Gourmet Amish Popcorn, Mesh Poof Bath Sponge, an Egghead Alien Skull Cap, and some Dingo Market Cuts Chicken Jerky. <laughs> So anyway, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, please consider going through my website, BettyInTheSky.com. Supports the show. doesn't cost you any more. Thank you so very much. When I first flew Honolulu out of Atlanta, I was so excited. I thought, oh, Hawaii girl's going to fly. Ask me anything. Ask me that. I'm the ambassador of this flight. So I'm on the cart on this side. And these two people that I'm not not to be mean, but they appear to be like from the Appalachians. Right. So they look out the window. He looks at me. And she goes, he goes, ma'am, what's out there on the in the ocean? And I said, excuse me. So I'm looking out. He goes, is that garbage? I said, garbage? Where's gar that all that white stuff in the ocean? I said, no. He goes, what is it? I said, it's water. It's called white caps. When the water hits the wind. Oh, I thought it was garbage. A lot of garbage. You know, I've had the ones too on going to Hawaii where they said, um, "Are we going to see nothing but water the whole way to Hawaii?" And I'm like, "Yeah, uh huh." No highways <laughs> or byways. Where's that bridge? <laughs> It was all over the news, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but there was an incident where somebody had their emotional support duck 
an emotional support duck on the plane, the duck hat on shoes. And there was a really good picture of the duck looking out the window, like the silhouette of the duck. So I will put that on the website. (laughs) You know, it's a quack. So there was this older gentleman on the plane. I don't know. He was in his, I'd say, 70s. And uh, his fly was down. And the other flight attendant said, "Um, you know, it's always like, you don't know if you should say something or not, because it's embarrassing. And she decided to say something. Um, He was getting up to go to the bathroom. And she said, "Um, sir, uh, uh, your fly's down. And he goes, oh, don't worry. You don't have to worry. If it can't get up, it can't get out. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Believe he said that, but I almost—I also thought it was great. I mean, what a self-depreciating thing to say! Oh, don't worry. If it can't get up, it can't get out. It was. This is when I first started flying. So about 26 years ago, probably my first flight ever from Laguardia to Palm Beach. Oh my! That says something right there. <laughs> It was a very interesting crowd. So I'm at the boarding door, and of course, all these yes. people come on board. <laughs> I like how you said that. You and people. Every single one of them wanted a deck yeah, of cards. That's what they always did. They used to sell them in like uh, the flea markets and stuff. There you go. So this woman, I gave her a deck of cards. She walked back about 10 feet, and she turned around. She came back up to me. She said, can I have a second deck of cards? I'd like to play Canasta. (laughs) The flight attendant that was boarding with me looked at her and said, when you grow a second head, you can have a second deck. (laughs) (laughs) So I was landing in the United States, and this first-class passenger says to me, "I I just saw a frog in here. And I was thinking, a frog? (laughs) Well, hmm, that's a first. And, you know, we're landing, so the flight's over. It's been a nine-hour flight. You know, if there's a frog somewhere, you know, I'm probably not going to go looking for it. And I was just kind of like, are you sure... Are you sure you saw a frog? She's like, I saw a frog as we were landing. It was like hopping that way, you know, like towards the cockpit. And I was thinking, I just doubt there was a frog. <laughs> I didn't want to say that to her. Like, I don't think that you saw a frog. <laughs> but, you know, I have heard stories about mice and rats and birds. You know, you've heard stories. There's all kinds of critters that can get on the plane, but I've never ever seen a frog. So just because I was curious, I looked around because she said it was going towards the cockpit. So I thought, well, you know, the passengers were going to have to get off. I thought, well, I'll look around to see if I see a frog, a frog on the plane. <laughs> and you know what it was? It was a grape. I found a grape. And you know it was probably hopping forward, you know, things move pretty fast on landing and it was it was the grape was probably hopping and and uh she didn't think it was a hopping grape. She thought it was a frog. When I was flying for Eastern, we were on a small plane, I think it was a DC nine. And we only had about twelve passengers, like five up front, seven in the back. So we I was working up front, and the girl in the back said, there's something weird going on with this guy. So I walked back, and he had taken one of those old aviator caps, yeah. put it on, and then he put the goggles yeah. on, 
And then I like he, the goggles. Yeah. <laughs> he pulled out a sling and put his arm in a sling. You know? Why a sling? And then he had this little tiny little blow up raft and he blew that up and he put it on his lap. And I was like, what is going on? And, and we had his name because he had ordered like a vegetarian meal. And we, I, you know, we kept walking by and I said, you all right? And he said, it's fine. But I said, and I said to the other crew, I said, are we, are we going to go in the water? Are we going to go in the drink or something? Does this guy know something that we don't know? He had a, he had a little raft? Yeah. Like how big? It was just like tiny little, like almost like those seat cushions that they yeah. blow up for elderly wow. people. It was weird. But how were the goggles going to help then, in case I he don't had to know. fall? I, 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 don't, I thought maybe he had been through some dra- trauma, yeah. drama in, in, like the, uh, in like the war or something, but he wasn't that old. So, But then right before we landed, he, he took everything off and packed it in his bag and <laughs> sat up there. So weird. It was weird. So this male flight attendant that uh, was talking about working in an amusement park, um, I've mentioned before that I worked in an amusement park, Kennywood, uh, and I loved it. It was one of my very favorite jobs. Nothing like an amusement park when there's nobody there. You know, it's empty. Nothing like an em- the feeling of an empty amusement park. Anyway, we started talking about amusement parks and um, our good experiences. And then I brought up, oh, my goodness. I said, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to go to Wildwood, New Jersey. We'd drive there. It was very far. And um, and I also went when I was a teenager and stuff, and it was kind of I, I, I'm I'm trying I'm not insulting the park because I loved it, but it was sort of a low rent park, you know. It was kind of um, they didn't have a lot of money to spend, and uh, but it was still a lot of fun. And as a kid, you know, you don't care if they're expensive rides or not. And my favorite one was called the Tubes of Terror. <laughs> And what this was, I swear this ride probably cost $200 to make. It was a four-story facade of a building, so a fake four-story building. And all you did was walk up the stairs. They had four flights of stairs. And then they had windows um, that you were supposed to jump out of a four-story building. And what it was was they just had fabric tubes going from the window and at the bottom of the tubes were some mattresses that kind of got smaller and smaller to stop your fall so basically you were just supposed to jump out of a four-story window and you had fabric around you and mattresses at the bottom to catch you the tubes of terror and uh, this was the funny part I remember my first time I don't remember how old I was but I was pretty small and I walked up there and you get up there and all of a sudden you go you think to yourself, well, I don't know if I want to jump out this window. Like they, you sit down and then you're supposed to jump. So I'm sitting there and um, I, I just kind of decided I didn't want to jump. And they just pushed me out. <laughs> the attendants. And I found out later that's what they do. And when you sit down, they want to keep the line moving. If you don't jump, they just push out. <laughs> they just push you out the window of the tubes of terror. That's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. This is where I say, uh, I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. And speaking of traveling around the world, I'm going to Iceland. Reykjavik, here I come. I was supposed to go last year. Got um, distracted with an infected um, root canal and stuff. But uh, the plan is to go this month. And uh, Hopefully it all goes well. I mean, some people would question my judgment. Uh, They'd be like, well, don't you think you should stay home since your um, walls are cut out from the water damage and uh, your floors probably have to be pulled up? You know, you've got some 
your house is a wreck. And uh, I say, well, you know, everybody has their priorities. (laughs) I'd rather go to Iceland. F the walls and the floors and the water damage. (laughs) Iceland, here I come. Anyway, I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Bye.